Hello and welcome to the Coon Hunting University Podcast. This is your host, Tyler Duncan. And like always, class is in session. Coon Hunting University is brought to you by Superior Hunting Lights. Superior, step up to the max. Use discount code CHUPODCAST at checkout on nighthunters.com. Conkey's Outdoors, hunting and hound supply store. We stand behind Conkey's and is the only hunting supply store that we personally recommend here at Coon Hunting University. You can find out more at conkeysoutdoors.com or find them on Facebook, Conkey's Outdoors, and give them a like. And GNR Cedar Dog Boxes. They make a high-quality cedar dog box at a great, affordable price. If you're in the market for a new dog box, reach out to Gavin at 615-962-5266. All right, so today I'm joined by Mr. Jason Miller, and uh, he needs no introduction. But, uh, Jason, you kind of know how it goes. Uh, Tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, Tyler, uh, I was uh, born and raised in Clark County, Mississippi, a little town called Quitman. And uh, my dad was in the oil field, so we moved around a good bit. But uh, I sort of, I sort of got the the uh, urge to coon hunt from my older sister. But uh, before you, before we get to that story, uh, I'm a, I currently teach school. I teach forestry. Got the greatest job in the world. I think I get to be outdoors and teaching kids about something I'm passionate about, and that's the outdoors. Uh, I'm currently married to my wife, Madeline. And we've got three little girls we're raising up. And then I had two kids with a previous marriage, Wyatt and Jesse Claire. So uh, I've uh, I've been fortunate. I've been blessed. Uh, thank the Lord for everything I've been blessed with. Uh, but I'm just a small town boy. I, I got the my sort of an agriculture background on from my granddaddy's side. So uh, I got into uh, cattle. You know, as I was a young child, we was raising cattle out here. So uh, I've always sort of had the outdoors farming, hunting, and fishing in my life. So that's a little bit about me as far as where I come from, sort of rural Mississippi, southeast Mississippi. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like how a lot of us grew up around here. Um, And you're from what? Quitman, right? That's right, Quitman, Mississippi. About yep. I don't know, two thousand folks maybe. The old cutover classic, huh? <laughs> yeah, we we did the cutover classic. I think man, close to I don't even know how many years we did that hunt. Probably close to twenty, you know. Jason, how'd you get your start into coon hunting? <laughs> well, I tell you, I, I sort of touched on that. My sister read me the book. And I guess. Probably a lot of people watched the movie, but my sister read me that book. She was in the fifth grade, and I guess it was part of the reading where the red fern grows. And uh, she read me that book when I was about, I guess I was in the first grade, so I'd have been six, seven years old, I guess. And I'm going to tell you, it lit a fire in me like anybody else that had the coon hunting bug during that time, and you wanted a red bone puppy. You know, everybody wanted a red bone puppy. Probably the worst thing that uh that book could light a fire under is wanting you to get a red bone puppy as far as getting into the coon hunting game, you know. So it rocked on there and uh 
like I said, my granddaddy had a had a cattle farm 11 miles east of Quitman, and the closest thing they all you know we all ran deer dogs and they had rabbit dogs, but my granddaddy had coon hunted you know previous years, but he wasn't coon hunting during that time. But he knew some people and that had dogs, so I got that red bone puppy when I was I don't know fourth grade little female and i think the only thing she ever ran was a deer and uh but we, i would just walk out you know through them cow pastures i'd shoot armadillos when i was walking i'm telling you i was i don't know third fourth grade and i'd shoot armadillos had a little hand held light and a single shot 22 and you know most people would be the dhs would be called because i'd be out there by myself walking around in cow pastures most time i didn't have a dog she was running a deer or something and then she got run over probably one of the best things that ever happened to me as far as in the coon hunting game and then uh rocked on and we moved my parents my dad moved us to canada in the oil field he was a rig manager so we moved so rocked on there for a couple of years and all i could do was read about that he had some buddies on the oil rig that used to d white burns I, he's a old pleasure hunter but he brought coon hunting magazines and daddy would bring me those coon hunting magazines the cooner and the bloodlines and i would look through every page and read everything i could and uh i found an ad for walt with wick and this would have been in the 80s you know the first the first walt with wick book come out and i got my grandmother called her my mom she ordered me that book and sent it sent it to me up in uh by this time we had moved to england and she sent me that book in england and i i don't know how many times i read that book during that time but uh so i just got infatuated with it at, at that point in my life and I was in high school by then. So when we moved back, I knew there was nothing I wanted to do more than coon hunt. So that's how I sort of got the bug for it, I guess you would say. And then I I was never, I never really wanted to competition hunt. I just wanted to, uh, I just wanted to coon hunt, man. I tell you, I, when I say that, I would, uh, I didn't, I didn't really have anybody to go with to, to begin with. So I would literally, you know at this point i would just walk out we had moved to the country by then and i would just walk hunt the first dog i ever got was a when a dog is a puppy you know people can tell you forever do not start with a puppy and i'm saying 99 out of 100 people are going to start with a puppy i don't care how many times you get told don't start with a puppy you are more than likely going to start with a puppy and uh, that's one of the biggest mistakes I think young hunters make is starting with something to train and the, them themselves needing to be trained, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I agree with that. I, I started with a black and tan puppy from some just local meat hunters. And me and that dude walked around the woods for countless hours. And I think he might have smelt up one tree that had a coon in it. And I just happened to be there when he done it. So that, I don't even know. I don't think he barked up. He just smelt up and I looked up there and there was a coon. 
Uh, but that was pretty much his story. I wound up getting rid of him to a bunch of deer hunters, and I think he finished out his life running deer. Uh, but that would have been my first, just a gray, black, and tan. But I hated walker dogs. I didn't want a walker dog. Couldn't stand them. Thought they were the scourge of earth. Everybody had them, and I always wanted to be a little bit different and make things harder on my life. So I fooled around, fooled around, tried English dogs, and finally, finally woke up and bought me an old dog in probably 90, I bought that dog in 92. She was a night champion, blue tick, and uh, she came out of T.C. Jones's stock. Like Duck Hill, Mississippi, or something like that. She was a night champion, about six, seven years old. She was a blue tick, but a walker dog had been trapped inside her body. She was a hard hunting coon tree, and she'd mess up and tree a possum every now and then. But she probably sort of taught me a little bit about what a coon dog was supposed to do. So that's how I, I got the bug and got started. And I, I hunted her up and through my first couple of years of college. <laughs> And she was actually the the first, along this time, I started running with some old boys around this area. Joey Darty, he still, you know, he still keeps a dog around. And uh, I'm only going to try to mention the coon hunters. That Chad Carter, me, Chad Carter and Joey Darty was hunting pretty regular during this time. Uh, we actually, uh, they act. Joey's probably the one that got me started competition hunting. He just begged me to go to a hunt. I said, man, I don't care nothing about fooling with them folks. And he kept on, kept on, kept on. And finally, I went to a competition coon hunt in Jake in Alabama. So that would have been around 94, 95, probably, is when I went to my first PKC competition hunt in Jake in Alabama. And uh, I drew out with, at that time, there was a, a, a guy over there that bought some pretty high-end dogs. He had a dog called Lucky Striker, old Mike Cook. He's, he's since passed. And two other guys, I don't recall their names, but I drew out with them. And the blue guy was one of them, the old blue bitch. She just sort of striking tree coons, didn't care. She didn't, she didn't care nothing about me. She acted like she hated me most of the time, didn't care if I petted her. Didn't, I mean, she she had no emotional connection to me whatsoever, but she would go tree coons. And uh, the first, I won't never forget it, the first cast I ever went on, old blue gal strikes a track there, a hunter. I, I don't know nothing about competition hunting. I just strike her. She goes down there, locates twice, falls treat. I treat her. And uh, go down there. She's got a coon. I find the coon, and they all get around there, and they can't see it. And uh, I told them, you know, I said, that's the coon sitting right there. Well, one of the boys said, oh, I can't see it. And I said, well, y'all wait right here. I'm going to go get my rifle. And they said, what? You can't do that? And I said, well, hell, I'm going to shoot the coon out so y'all can see it. And uh, one of the guys finally said, yeah, I see it. And then they wound up seeing it and I think she went on and treed three more coons and I uh, had about 575 600 plus on my very first competition coon hunt. so I was I was pretty much hooked after that you know I thought that was it because all they did was stay in armadillo holes and 
I don't even think they treat a coon that night. Funny story, uh, which I had already been coon hunting, but I, you know, I didn't start reading until I was about ninth grade, and I read that book where the red fern grows, and I said, I got to have me a red bone. And I went to Quitman, Mississippi and bought a red bone. You, you just jarred <laughs> my memory about that. <laughs> Probably bought it from Keith Robinson. Probably so. I don't. It was a good deer dog. I know that. Yeah, uh, Keith. Keith was Keith Robinson's our local red bone man. But he's he since he don't he. I think he's got a walk. I think he's actually got a Walker dog over there out of my stuff right now. Now that you mention him. Uh, but yeah, and 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 during that time, you know, I tried I tried starting pups of every breed. The only thing I never tried to start was a plot. So during that blue gal time, I was trying to start anything. You know, I uh, I actually bought a couple a couple of English dogs, and and they just wasn't starting for me. And uh, I bought a everybody during that time luckett's old duke you know that was david luckett's dog he had won the world championship twice there and uh i come across a young that went back to luckett's old duke and i said i'm gonna try that so i i got her and everybody knows me you know from the beginning as late night hook you know late night hooker was the sort of where i come on the scene at but yeah. the first late night dog was actually out of uh luck it's old duke and uh i called her late night bonnie b and that would have been around 94 probably and the reason everybody always asked me why late night or whatever I, I hunted a lot by myself and uh you know i was one night and it seemed like every dog i ever had loved trail you know and that old was in there trailing and i was laid up against a tree trying to think of a, a a catchy name something that you know i'd never heard hung on a, a group of dogs and i wanted to start a kennel so i i said you know what this coon hunting you know we do it a lot late at night you know so i just i it just sort of late night bonnie b is what sort of stuck on that jib and that's that's where late night kennels come about was uh me out there by myself late at night and i just that name sort of stuck so during that time blue gal was getting a little bit older i couldn't start another dog so martin spears somebody told me martin spears has got some pups and this would have been 90 96 i think uh martin spears had some pups up there so i called him i said martin i said i hear you got some pups yeah i got I got some six, seven month old pups up here. I said, well, you mind if I buy one from you? He said, nah, come on. So I rode up there and he had one of the best looking dogs I had ever seen in my life. And one of the ugliest dogs I had ever seen in my life <laughs> in a pen there. And I said, man, I said, man, I love that dog right there. And it was later, master latch i don't even know i don't know if he called him master latch at that time or not but he was man that was a good looking dog and i told martin i said man i want that dog and he said well he ain't for sale i said come on martin i said man sell him to me and i offered him a thousand dollars for him you know he wouldn't i think he might have turned a cage coon loose or something on him but I offered him a thousand dollars, and and this day and time, a thousand dollars ain't nothing. But during that time, 
and me being in college, a thousand dollars felt like a pretty good bit, you know. No, no. And no. the ugliest, the ugliest dog just happened to be, and I don't even. I think they might have called her Queen or something, you know. It, he, and she was just raw bone, leggy, bottle nose. She had a bottle looking nose, but later she would become late night hooker and. And that's the that's the dog I bought. She was something else. Now just a bony looking, bottle nosed, and uh, but she had some legs up under, and uh, so I wound up buying her for two hundred and fifty dollars. And that's that's where late night hooker come into my life. And me and that dog, uh, we spent a lot of time together. And a lot of people, you know, don't realize the work that went into that dog as far as the hours spent. Uh, uh, but before we get to hooker, Jason, I got a question that Martin Spears that you're talking about. Did you listen to the interview with Jesse lively? Uh, I, yeah, I caught, I, I think I caught a good bit of Jesse's interview. Is that the same Martin Spears that he said he got tiny from? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Martin and Jesse's real tight. Martin goes over and hunts. A bunch with Jesse Lively, so yeah, he that said, would be. Yeah, Jesse said the same thing you did about Tiny. So he went over there, he said, "Man, it's best look." It just reminded me so much of of what how you were talking about Master Latch, how he was talking about Tiny. That's why I thought it was funny. Yeah, I was thinking I was yeah. the same person. Yeah, Martin. Martin's in Philadelphia there, and he man, Martin is pro, he's raised a pile of good dogs, and he he had a pile of good dogs back in back in the day i mean he was i think he got second in the ukc world during those times <laughs> and martin stayed up to date on the breeding martin was a very good dog man as far as breeding you know he you know hooker came from sackett jr and uh lipper stylish queen which was man i'd say that was the first year sackett jr won the stud race was because of that litter i would guess you know i I had never really went back and looked, but, uh, you know, I know Hooker was in there. Martin had a bitch called Izzy out of that cross. Master Latch was in that cross. Uh, and I, I think, I know he won the stud race that year, and I think Martin got second, maybe, on Breeder of the Year out of that cross. And he actually wound up selling that Lipper Stylish Queen, which was, you know, I, I'm not going to start talking about all them old bloodlines and everybody wanting to go back and breed to this dog and that dog, you know. But but I hunted in a time when, by gosh, getting treed wasn't as common as it is now, you know. And people can argue one way or the other, but the name of the game is treeing coons. It ain't running coons, you know. So, uh I've always been one of those. They've got to have that good get hooked mentality. And I hunted with, you know, Hooker's mama quite a bit. Man, she was a fireball go-getter. But by gosh, I don't know that she was ever broke off armadillos and, you know. But needless to say, Hooker was a pile of work herself as far as breaking her. And I don't see that problem in the, as much in the pups these days. But, I mean, Man, I can remember armadillos and possums were heck back when I first started. And maybe it's just because I've learned more through it. But, man, starting to pup back when I first started was 
some kind of painful. But weren't you starting blue ticks? <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> very, very good point. I mean, I, you know, I started a pile of walkers, man. I'm telling you, I, I tried to start a bunch, and maybe I just didn't not, know. You, the people, and I hate, you know, but stylish, hairy stuff, you couldn't, I, you, people couldn't give them to me. Nailer stuff, you know, I, I just, I, one before I bought, you know, I left out a bunch, but nailer dogs, I couldn't get. And most people said they treat too much, but I couldn't get, I could never get a nailer dog started down here in this country. Um, uh, and maybe it's just luck. I don't know. You know, if I'd, have, if I'd have hit the right nailer dog, we wouldn't even be having this conversation maybe about hooker, but, uh, that was, that was the deal. She was just one of them. She, people ask me all the time, what do you look for in a dog? You know, as far as what, what, what sets it apart? And, you know, I, it's probably took me 30 years to figure it out. But first thing they're going to have to have is heart. You know, they just can't quit. And, you know, they got to have hunt. They're going to have to go a hunting and then brains and hooker was, I'd say she was probably top three on smarts as far as dogs that, well, she's probably the smartest one I've ever started. Uh, and she had a big heart. There wasn't no quit in her. And, and when, when I say hunt, she was a, she was a, she was a smart hunter. You know, she was one of those, if they was out there beating themselves up in a cutover, she would tree them coons around the edge of it. So there's a diff. you know, people, a lot of people say heart and hunts the same thing, but it's, it's two different things. Heart is, heart is a dog that will bust through a cutover and just hell or high water. They going to get it done. Hunt to me is, do they know where a coon lives? Do they know how to find where that coon is? A lot of, I've started a pile of dogs that just, no matter what, they seem to always go the wrong direction. Like if there's a creek 200 yards this way, they're going to go a quarter of a mile the other way to find a, you know, a, a blacktop road. Some dogs just naturally have, or, you know, have that instinct that, and that could fall into brains where they know where to go find that coon. Thunder's wild clyde. That mug knew to get on water. Every time I ever hunted with him, he'd find a branch or a creek or he was going to find water and he would shoot down that water as fast and as hard as he could. So he'd come up on a coon and bam, he had it. And it's just dogs, I guess, of innate or just in their mind, they figure out where to find And Some of them never figure it out. You know, I mean, I don't, it's just, it's just like, uh, I guess anything, they just don't figure out how to find them coons. But anyway, Hooker always had that ability to go the right direction. And, and she always was smart enough. I know you, you did an interview with Wimp and, uh, I won't never forget during that college time, I would go up there and hunt with Wimp a good bit because I was up there at Mississippi state and, uh, I'd bring Hooker with me and, uh, Wimp has done some of the greatest things as far as breeding a consecutive line of females. Now, with that said, it's not the it's not the style of dog that I hunt. It's not that he's wrong and I'm right or I'm wrong and he's right. It's just preference. Wimp's dogs, he if he turns six dogs loose, he wants all six dogs on that tree. Uh 
If he turns three loose, he wants all three of them suckers running together. If he calls their name one time, he expects them to be at his feet. He don't never want to touch them with a leash. Now, that might, hey, for Wimp, that is great. For me, that is not what I want to see when I go, you know, to hunting. If I turn three loose, I want to see, if they don't strike that sucker right there out of the truck, I want to go get all three of them off separate trees. So, I mean, that's preference, and people don't understand that. And some people, you know, if you're not a competition hunter, you 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 don't understand wanting them to be like that. If you're just a pleasure hunter, you, you want them to be together. And isn't it so, crazy that the Schooner River Dogs have had as much success in competition hunts as they have? And here's the He didn't deal even breed for that. that. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. But he bred for a dog that would tree a coon. All right. So, I mean, and do it and, and, and don't get me wrong. The Schooner River dogs have some hunt, but what, what, uh, what Wimp, you know, he, he bred, he hit a couple of key points there. And, and I guess it probably one of his, you know, like the Schooner River locket cross, one of his first, you know, as far as winning breeder, you know, he's going to have, he, he focuses on that queen stuff, but that locket cross that he made that, I think Wimp actually won Breeder of the Year the year Martin got second. Yeah, well, he won it with Lockett, I know. Yeah, so Lockett, you know, which was some of his, you know, breeding around, but it wasn't from that queen side. I know he, he come in there with a, he crossed her with Lipper and got and got that that line, which I, I don't, you know, that, that was just one of them deals. But going back to the Wimp story, we were in some soybean fields, and uh, I think we turned. I think we turned seven, which was queen seven, and eight, which he called cat. We had turned them two loose and a puppy and hooker, so we had four dogs cut loose, and they they hit them soybeans, and man, they were just screaming on the soybean race. Well, about that time, hooker just falls treed over on the edge of the soybean field. And he said, hurry up, go get her. She's going to ruin a soybean race. And uh, so I hustled down there. She got a coon. I cut her back loose, get back up there with Wimp. And, man, she ain't, it ain't 10 minutes. She's treed again on the other side of the soybean field. Got another coon. So I go get her and cut them back. And about that time, when she gets back in on the race, then – they catch the coon out in that. And soybean races, man, they might not even come out. They might run three or four hours in that soybean field and not even come out of it. And uh, they get out there and they catch the coon, and we get to them. And I mean, the coon's just as stiff as it can be. But Wimp sort of faulted Hooker getting out of that right. You know, I mean, not he wasn't negative about it, but he was like, he didn't want that bitch treed around the edge of them fields when them dog, when she started that race. And me as a competition hunter, I'm like, God, yes. I mean, I'm pumped up that she's busting over and treeing on the side of that field, you know, not wasting time running. So that's just a, a, a difference in opinion. Neither one's wrong. Neither one's right. You know, that's just what he preferred and what I prefer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as long as you're having fun, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's a lot of people, you know, I give this analogy to people all the time. 
you do not know until you've been with a top shelf coon dog what a top shelf coon dog is. It's like a kid. If you if you're riding a pony and this is the first horse you've ever been on, this is the fastest horse you've ever seen. Right? I mean that sucker that's the best fastest pony I've ever been on. Until you get on to something else, that pony's the fastest thing you've ever been on, right? Yeah. Well, just like a coon dog. If I would have stopped and died with our quick coon hunting with Blue Gal, that would have been the best coon dog I ever seen. You couldn't have told me no different. So, I mean, a lot of times when people sort of progress through life, they're going to see stuff that changes and makes them go, oh, man, there might be something a little bit better out of there out there so until you've actually I, I and this this gets you all the time when you hear people that you know never been off to a coon hunter never but they'll be talking around the clubhouse or whatever so you know and i'm not saying that the the dogs that are winning these big hunts are the best thing out there but until you go and you've competed with some of the top level coon hounds you can't you can't put judgment on is your dog better you know, you might have a dog just as good, but you don't know that until you've actually been out there and competed with some of the best dogs out there. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it might blow some people's minds to go hunt with some of these dogs and you realize it's, it's, there's just something different about them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that comes down to that. And a lot of times, you know, Hey, I tell people all the time, if your dog, if you can't just turn your dog loose by itself and it go tree a coon, like, and that not surprise, I mean, that's, if I turn a dog loose, he better go tree a coon. That shouldn't surprise me. The difference is when you turn him loose with three other dogs and crap starts going haywire and he goes and trees them coons. That's the difference in a competition hunt. Look, a coon, a dog that trees coons is not that impressive to me. Yeah, that's common. As far as, I mean, as far as just going, turn the sucker loose by itself, him go tree a coon, that, that, that is, I mean, that, that's nothing. I mean, to me, I mean, but to some people that is pretty impressive because that's all they've ever seen or ever know, you know. Most, if I've got a coon, a good coon population, and a lot of people probably don't ever use stopwatches, but if I've got a good coon population, I expect my dogs to be treed every 10 to 15 minutes. So, I mean, that that's sort of if I'm hunting by myself. So when I'm hunting by myself and, and, and testing a dog and trying to see if he's up to par, and I know my coon population, which it goes up and down with the stemper and stuff like that, but you're trying to, I'm always evaluating. So if I'm evaluating one of the dogs, but I don't have anything to hunt with, Yoder Nylon has long been known for producing the highest quality briar-proof products on the market. Now they've formed a partnership with Razor Hunting Gear to produce all of Razor's new hunting products. Razor has a wide selection of products from competition belts, chest rigs, strap vests, to hunting jackets. 
These products look as well as they perform. Razor Hunting Gear, designed by coon hunters for coon hunters. Razor Hunting Gear's newest products are now available for order. You can find a link in the description box below. Your only evaluation is the time it takes for the dog to get treed and the distance traveled, right? So your evaluation is, if it's a good one, every 10 to 15 minutes, and I don't, it can, he can be treed three quarters of a mile or he can be treed 500 yards, but he better be treed every 10 to 15 minutes if I've got a good cone population. And that's sort of, that's sort of where I'm at as far as what I'm looking for when I'm hunting by myself. If I've got a good dog, if I think he'll, if he'll cut the mustard. And then, but when you stick him with other dogs or her with other dogs, that's when, that's when stuff gets real. That's when you're going to find out. That's where that heart comes in. If they get, if they get bumped around on the tree, are they going to be able to stay there? If they get, I've had some real good coon tree and dogs in my time, but if they get ate up, they're done. I had a dog called Hillside Trooper and he was, he's a good example of this man. He was a coon tree and me and, uh, Alex Holloman were partners on him. And, uh, he was a, had all the bells and whistles, fast, good moving dog, and uh, he could not take any amount of pressure as far as, so he's no good as a competition dog, but he couldn't take any, if he treated a coon and something come in there and got a little rough with him, he was done for a couple of months. I actually wound up selling him, selling all of him to Alex. Alex kept him up there. But anyway, and that was just, when I bought him, or me and Alex bought him, just to try to breed to some of this late night junk. I tell people all the time, I've been breeding the good out of them for about 25 years now. I started with two good quality dips and I've been breeding good out of them ever since. So, and you said you were talking about late night and this is a PG podcast and I might cut this out, you know, but this between yeah. me and you maybe. Right. How'd you come up with hooker and trick? I kind of know what you had on your mind in uh, college, huh? Well, I'm going to tell you, it, a lot of people, I was hunting for money, so that's the reason I always, it, it actually never had to do with any, you know, those type of connotations as far as, but I would just, you know, that seemed like a good name trying to win all that money, you know. So I just always, and it was catchy. It was something that everybody, oh, late night hooker, you know, it just, it was one of them names that sort of, and, and you know, I can't remember uh, what, I, and it wasn't. It was just one of them deals hunting for money. So that's the reason I started. And I, heck, I've, I've went through some crazy names for sure, but uh, I just, that was the two that I stuck with was old hooker and trick. And here's the deal. And Wimp turned me on to this, you know, Wimp, when I was up there hunting with Wimp a bunch, and this is the reason I wound up buying Trick, but uh, Wimp told me, you know, he, he I was like, man, I, I sort of want to get me a stud dog. He said, man, he said, raising stud dogs is easy. He said, he said you want to make it hard. You want to make it difficult. You try to keep a line of gyps going, you know, because you only get so many pups out of a female. And I'm going to tell you, you, if when you go to lining up and trying to line 
queen one, queen two, queen three, queen four, like wimp. That is a that is an amazing, amazing task if you ever try to do it. I, I mean, I don't. It's near about impossible because I'm I'm telling you, Hooker stopped at Hooker really, because I never got a female out of her that I raised a pup out of. I wound up. I carried her line off of Dooley uh, when I bred the moose. So when you start, if you want to make it hard on yourself, try to line up gyps or even, you know, try to line up stud, one consecutive stud after the other. The, you know, the blue tick, the hammer line, which I've never really broke it down and seen if he kept, if he kept the hammer line going like hammer one, and then he bred a he bred a gyp. Didn't somebody come breed a gyp to his hammer one, and he got hammer two? If he had his own personal gyp, that's what's so amazing about Wimp. You know, he's kept his own personal female. He made the cross, and then he had queen two, queen three, queen four, with all the stuff that can happen to these dogs. You know, and I mean, he had Pretty the stud dog sometimes. You know? Yeah, Wimp, Wimp would always float a stud dog in there. You know? Uh, yeah, that's that, it's pretty amazing. You know, he, he, he's dedicated his life to, to pursuing, to doing that. You know, that's pretty amazing when you break it down. You're talking about things that can happen. Look what happened. He was talking about Queen 5. He run her over in front of the truck, you know, yeah. while he was hunting. Yeah, I mean, hey, I'm going to tell you, my, my, my lining these dogs up has been, scattered with disaster as far as as far as trying to line them up but you know that's that's just that's part of it i don't know i you know like hooker man she was she was a joy to hunt i think 20 different handlers i don't 20 different handlers won money with her she was passed around huh she was you know i mean some of the you know, biggest names, Hunter, Billy Bell hunted her in some hunts. But here was the deal about Hooker. She was so much work on me that uh, she didn't really, I mean, she would treat coons for other people. Donnie Mayo got a handler ticket with her. Andy Morgan got a handler ticket with her. Uh, multiple people won cast with her. Uh, but, you know, after, after about her fifth year, I, I didn't hunt her much. And she... Gosh, the year she died, she was she hunted in the state hunt three legged. Uh, I think she was in the top sixteen of the state race every year of her life, but one maybe. Uh, she was just one, and ain't no telling how many kids won their money. What you know, she just and she was so easy to call. But uh, an interesting story about Hooker. We were uh, I was at Sullivan, Alabama, and Morris Tart, who was a big English guy. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard of him. He was a he was a pretty good English breeder, a really good English breeder. I don't know if he, you know, he still hunt, but he had a Tarts Iron Man. Anyway, so he 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 draws me at Sullivan, and Hooker's maybe 14, 15 months old, and uh. She she just had such a big powerful mouth, big gigantic double locate, and just roll it over in steady chop. Just sound like a coon dog was supposed to sound. 
And uh, it's a pup cast. Back then, you, you'd have pretty good sized pup cast. And uh, she uh, she annihilates this cast by treeing three possums. <laughs> I mean, she has treed three possums in style. Just hit them, trail them around there, and just die tree, go down there, and they just smiling at you. And uh, everybody always goes, why'd you keep turning loose? I was like, hell, nothing made a circle tree. You know, I'm st- <laughs> I am still got a chance to win this cast, you know. So I just kept turning loose, and she went down this bottom and treed three possums. By the third one, I was getting a little bit upset with her. And uh, so we get through, and a, a, one, a dog finally trees in the ground, and it treed an armadillo of all things. But either way, it got circled, so they won the cast. Well, we get back to the truck, and I won't never forget it. And I'm young, and I'm sort of dumb to the whole, and I'm like, talking bad about her and Morris goes, you want to sell that dog? And I, I don't know. I looked at him like he was probably crazy. I said, I said, sell her. She just treed three possums. And he looked at me in the calmest. He said, if that jip can treat three possums like that, she can treat three coons like that. He said, do you want to sell that dog? And I said, no, sir. I, I guess I'm going to keep her. So, uh, Morris Tart probably almost bought Hooker that night because I probably should have probably sold her. But I couldn't blame her because I was so young and dumb when I first started Hooker that, man, if she treated something when I first started her, I shot it out. So, you know, the first couple of possums she treated, I rolled out to her. I wouldn't do that now, but back then I was just, I, I was just out there coon hunting. You know? That was the start of Hooker. And Jason, you're kind of talking about the start of Hooker there. So, did you have any plans in place when you got Hooker and then later Trick? I mean, what kind of what was your mindset going into that? Yeah, I, I like that question. Well, I tell you what, a lot of people, you know, know me from the competition side, but you know, the people that are the closest to me always knew that I that I liked the breeding side of the hounds and and will sort of set me winston aaron sort of sent me on a journey you know as far as trying to line up and make crosses and uh i knew early that i to make it easier on trying to breed your own line of dogs i just felt like it would be good to start with two quality females you know uh and i sort of got lucky with hookers and uh you know, as far as I didn't really know much about her, I just sort of wound up with her, and then I seen stuff about her I liked. So I knew she was going to be the start. And then I actually really got lucky with the second jilt that I introduced. I knew what I was looking for, but I hadn't really run across it yet. And uh, in 2000, I want to say, maybe 99, uh, Fergie come up to me at the World Hunt. And Fergie, if people don't know, is Mike Ferguson. I think you y'all you interviewed Fergie was in the podcast on the wipeout stuff. And Fergie was a heck of a good handler. I, he he uh he you know with family and everything he sort of got away from hitting the hunts as hard. But uh, I had hunted with Fergie quite a few times when I when I was younger up at state and go up there and I would hunt hunt with a uh, Barry and Fergie and Billy Bell and Avery Bell, that that whole bunch. But uh, and Benny Taylor, 
man, you talk about some tough competition hunts, but but Fergie seen me at the world hunt said, Miller. And I said, Yeah, Fergie, what's up? He said, I got a female puppy out here that a boy didn't pick up. I don't even know who the guy was that was supposed to pick her up. But she was out of stylish clover, which everybody during that time knew that stylish clover was a big screaming track mouth drop track drop and i always wanted that big you know hooker had a big mouth i wanted the next dog that i sort of lined up in that breeding program to have a big screaming mouth and uh, he said i've got one here out of uh, stylish clover and snug which they they snug was wipe out kate and i had hunted with her a couple of times and she was a sneaky little dog that would, you know, from what, for, from what I remember, she'd be over a tree with a coon, you know. I think they always joked she won all the, the, the truck tickets, and Moose always won the truck, you know. But uh, she was a little more, a go-getter type dog. I think she'd probably make some extra trees. But uh, so that's where I wound up with what I called late night trick, was out of uh stylish clover and snug and then man i just and i just went to winning hunts and people around me won hunts i mean I, that's the thing you won't never if you're going to be successful and and have a bunch of dogs you got to have a bunch of people around you that that hunt and believe in what you got you know um lynn johnson he's he sort of took a break from hunting i guess he hunted a bunch of my junk and and he actually the year we won uh the state race in mississippi and i think we were second in the national female race lynn was lynn was my go-to handler the two weeks i was gone me and him were both working offshore so uh i hate to leave i mean i hate to leave out anybody that was you know part of this story and helped it be successful but uh, Lynn was a big part of winning that state race, and uh, and I and I call you know a lot of people joke, but Conkey's Outdoors knows that keeping up with the latest in hunting technology can be expensive. That's why they are proud to offer amazing financing options from thirty days same as cash to zero percent interest for six, nine, twelve, and even eighteen months, depending on your credit score and the amount you spend. If you've been eyeballing that new thermal or want to upgrade to the latest in tracking system technology, go find out more on the web at conkeysoutdoors.com or if you're in the Hastings, Florida area, stop by and visit. They'd love to have you. Conkeys Outdoors, houndsmen helping houndsmen. You know, everybody will say, well, I'm going to win the state race. Was at the world hunt? And, and John Ward, if he's, if he ever hears this, he still owes me a hundred dollars. I think we bet a hundred bucks that I was going to win the state race that year at the world hunt. You know, I'm telling you, a lot of people don't realize how, how much fun those hunts were during that era. Just everybody gathered up and talking and shooting the breeze. And I was probably the biggest smart, but everybody knew that they could get under my skin. I was a horrible handler because I was always trying to blow you out of the water. I, I wanted, hey, if there was a coon to be treated, I wanted every part of it. You know, I, I didn't never play safe hunting. That was 
that was my downfall. No telling what Hooker would have won had she had a better better handler during those times, which I'm better now than what I used to be. So don't get no ideas if you draw. Barry Kitty used to be able to get me so mad on a cast. It was unbelievable. And I bet he still laughs how mad he used to get me on cast. So does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> I, I jump and ramble. It's all good. I it's it's gonna be good. I, I'm I'm enjoying it. It's it's turning out really good. You think it you think it's all jumping around, but it's really good information, you know? Yeah. And I'm telling uh, so, you. <clears throat> huh? I, well, yeah, go ahead. What you got? Well, I'm just saying you think you're jumping around, but really you're breaking up the monotony. Cause it it does yeah. get monotonous to sit there and listen to somebody talk about their line. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, I, I, I hate looking back at all this stuff as far as when you go back. I'm telling you the breakdown and the and then the, I hadn't even got to, you know, like racket. And, yeah, um, I know. Uh, that's what's crazy. You know, well, I, I'm, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you about Trick and maybe talk some more about her puppies because, I mean, they had okay. a big impact. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here here's the deal on Late Night Trick, man. I, I tell you what, she – uh. She was quirky as quirky could be. Uh, and they say that about Snug. They always used to say Snug was real quirky. Uh, but I, I all, you know, I, I hate to say, but I, I believe in putting one down if there ain't no quality, you know. And uh, she almost didn't make it with me a couple of nights. But it took me a while to figure out what her deal was. She was so freaking independent that she would not, you know, most people back then would try to start a young dog with an older dog. And she is the dog that taught me it's better to start one by herself, you know, uh, because she absolutely would not punt with another dog when, uh, when she was young. I mean, she, it was like beneath her. If you turn something else with, loose with her, she was going to come to the truck and listen. It, it took me a while to trick her into hunting around other dogs, you know. But the first, you know, I, I usually start trying to start mine when they're nine, you know, nine months old. I, I let them run loose as much as possible. And then I usually start introducing them, you know, to the woods when they're about nine months old, actually taking them coon hunting. Uh, and she would flat out not go with other dogs. And the night that she dodged, you know, I, 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 I had made up my mind that she was not coming back home with me that night. And Hooker had treated a coon, uh, and and Trick was just walking with me. And Hooker had treated a coon on a creek bank there in a little old bitty bush. And I tied Hooker back, and I tied Trick back, and uh. I got to shaking that bush and that coon hit the ground right there in uh, front of him and took off. I let it get out of sight, which I don't, I don't fool with cage coons, a lot of people. So I probably, probably should have showed her a cage coon or two. But anyway, she seen that coon run off and I turned her loose and she treated it. She, uh, she just went to train coons after that. I turned hooker loose with her. I actually, I shook that coon out three times that night. That last time I turned hooker loose with her and they ran and treed together. There was an old running joke. Scotty Morgan used to tell everybody he trained her. And, uh, 
and the first night he ever took her hunt, I think she treated three or four singles, but he always used to tell. And, and Scotty's Morgan's, you know, passed on too. So uh, he he hunted, he hunted old trick a good bit. I think, you know, he's still, every time I seen him up until his passing, he talked about her. And him and Andy both, you know, they hunted her a little bit. Andy Morgan, which we'll talk about him in a minute. But, uh, yeah, trick. Trick was my best reproducer by far. I, I wound up, uh, I think she she was a silver champion. And the first crossing on her, I knew she needed more tree. Uh, and her, it wouldn't hurt her to have more tree and more buddy-buddy type stuff. And I've always been, if you can give a local man some recognition or breed to somebody local, go ahead and breed to them if they got what you need. And uh, Tommy Wayne McDaniels and uh, uh, Thomas Allen had a little stud dog up there they called Rock River Judge. And a lot of people didn't really know about him, but he was he was, uh, he was was actually Ratatak's full brother. So I was like, man, I'm a genetics dude, man. I, I went to Mississippi State. I studied genetics is one of those things that's hit and miss if, Judge is Ratatak's brother. Why can't Judge reproduce just like Ratatak? So I, I just took a gamble and went up there and bred to Judge. And uh, that was probably the best, that, not probably, that was the best cross owner. And I actually bred her to Ratatak later on. Uh, but Judge was, as far as I was concerned, was the best cross owner. We got a, we got a, a gyp called uh gosh i can't even remember what they called it i think jeff stallard wound up with her cheeks or something i think she sold pretty good money but i don't never know whatever happened to her after stallard had her for a while and then uh we got a dog that andy kept that he called he called boo rat to begin with and i later sort of finagled around and got him put in my name and when i changed his name to late night so when you hear me call boom that's actually the dog that andy started and trained and then i got one out of the cross that i called racket and that was the original late night racket um and that's where he came about until this day he's he's sort of my he's sort of my measuring stick is what a dog should be and could be you know but nobody ever really got to see him he got He's actually, he's the only, and I've, hey, I've buried some good ones. You know, I've, I've been fortunate with some good hounds. Some people have seen some of my good ones, but Racket is the only one that I've ever really just wept over. Everybody always goes, man, you didn't cry when Hooker died? Man, Hooker, Hooker was, me and Hooker had some great times, and I held her in my arms when, when we put her to sleep, and I tell you, there was nothing more I could want from Hooker. I mean, she gave me everything she ever had, hunting up on three legs, you know, hunted in Thomas. Thomas Allen actually hunted during the last eight hunt three-legged, you know. But Racket, there was just so much that I knew that that dog could have offered that, uh, man, it just tore me up when he died. And it was a freak deal, just a stick stuck up in between his rib cage and his lung, and a piece of that stick broke off and started a massive infection into his 
in his lungs. He basically died of pneumonia. But I, it was after I spent a bunch of money trying to save him. Or me, I tell you what, here's Lynn Johnson again. Lynn Johnson actually had bought half a racket. So me and him was partners on racket at that time. And me and him took him to Mississippi State University and told him to do whatever they possibly could to save his life. And uh, he didn't make it. And that's the only dog I've ever actually cried over as far as losing. And I've lost, I mean, hero. I mean, he was a one that I lost way too young. But Racket was just a freak of nature. There was no training him. He was just, he was a freak of nature as far as coon tree and ability. How old was he? He he died when he was two. He he had uh he probably wasn't even a solid two yet. But I'm people. I don't. You know, people tell you stories and and you know like you don't really want to believe them. You know, like that's unbelievable. You know, like the dogs that you hear about that travel through the woods twelve fifteen miles per hour. You know, uh. Until you, and that's that's like that racing pony, you know. That's the fastest racing pony. There ain't none no faster. Until you see one that is faster, then uh, you it's hard for you to believe that there could be one that fast, you know. Racket was just, I mean, and I'm telling you, I you can't. There is, I've seen, I've seen the best there is out there as far as are the claim to be best. I've seen the coon treeinous dogs in the country uh, through my time. I've hunted with Meltdown. I've hunted, you know, I've hunted with all, I mean, I don't know one, you know, some of the newer ones that are going right now, I, don't, I probably haven't, but in the last 20 years, I've hunted with the cream of the crop. I've hunted with Wipeout Toy. I've, you know, I've hunted with, I've hunted with all those dogs. And I know that what 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 i have seen that 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 dog would have really made a big difference i guess that's the reason i'm not saying he was better than them dogs i'm just saying that by gosh i would have liked to get him on up to he was three or four years old and seen what he could have done uh, because he could literally i could be driving down the road 55 miles an hour and a coon cross the road and he wasn't no dog box barker. He wasn't a dog that barked in the dog box. And I even, like, I wouldn't even touch the brakes because the first time I heard him do it, I was like, that, he just barking because I'm slowing down, you know, because there was a coon crossing the road, and I went to slow down, and uh, he bellered out. And I was like, the first time he done I was like, he just started barking because I slowed down. But I'm telling you, I witnessed that, and he wasn't a dog that barked in the dog box. He would beller out when something, and you could be running 45, 50 miles an hour, and a coon crossed the road, and that sucker would open in a dog box. I ain't talking about standing on the tailgate. That's that's what I'm talking about in a ama- like in amazement. That was 200 yards. You'd have a tire feeder out there in the woods, and you could. And he wouldn't do it at every feeder, you know. But if you pulled up to a spot and there was a coon on that tire feeder out there 200 yards, he would open, knowing it was there. Donnie Mayo, and I, Donnie, I hunted a bunch with Donnie Mayo. He still hunts. Man, he, he, 
he had heard me talking about it. He said, man, bring him, bring him over here to the house. Let's go hunting. I said, man, I said, yeah, anytime. So we set up a night and it was just him. He was 14, 15 months old. And, uh, we cut this sucker loose. He goes in and we, back then we didn't have Garmin, you know, we just had beat beat. And he just died. Just two big locates rolled over into a steady chop. He's probably about 400 yards in there. Shot in there in about three minutes, probably. Donnie goes, God, dog, he just ambushed that one. I said, no, nah, that's a layup. I mean, that's layup coon. He said, what? I said, yeah. I said, if it's a layup coon, he ain't going to say nothing on the ground. We walked in there, and he's treated up. And this is October. You know, this is perfect. Hey, when, when you when you say perfect coon hunting weather, I'm thinking October and November. Right, it's starting to cool off. You got plenty of acres. This mug's tree on the side of a big red oak, and he's got, I swear it looked like nine coons. It might have been ten, but it looked like a Christmas tree when we shined up. He said, My God, it's a coon. But what it was was a bunch of coons up in there eating them red oaks. They hadn't started falling yet. So uh, Donnie said, Man, he just, he did tree a layup. So he said, I got a tough coon. You hear the old ghost coon story, but he said, I got a tough coon that I hadn't been able to tree. He said, if he trees that coon, he said, I'll be impressed. And I said, let's go try to, and I joked, I said, let's go try to tree your ghost coon, Donnie. He said, no, nah, I'm going to kill him now. If we if he trees him, I'm going to kill him. I said, all right. And he said, he, he stays on a feeder I got in a beaver pond, and then dogs lose him in a certain spot every time. So sure enough, we go to this this spot, and he strikes, like I said, just red, just boom. He's And he goes out in this beaver pond. He makes a loop in that beaver pond. I said, Donnie, he'll catch him in that water. I said, that sucker, if he don't climb, he'll kill him. About that time he makes a lose, I mean, shuts up. Coming to you from Bushwhacker Nation 2022 Super Stake Sire 2022 Performance Sire PKC Pup Earnings over $400,000 Pro Sport Pup Earnings over $60,000 2022 Treeing Walkers Breeders and Fanciers Association Stud Dog of the Year UKC number 3 Current Reproducer This dog's name is Stylish Bushwhacker and he needs no introduction He's one of the hottest stud dogs out right now Located in Fredericksburg, Indiana. For more information, contact Justin Davenport at 954-614-8138. Thank you to Mr. Davenport for purchasing the Cunut University Stud Dog ad from the Shriners Benefit Hunt. All that money went to benefit the State of Missouri Coon Hunt Association annual Shriners Children's Hospital Benefit Hunt, which will be held on September 24th, 2022. Y'all go check them out. He ain't saying a word. Donnie sort of laughs. He goes, "That's where they all lose him at. You know, that's where they that's where they all make a mistake." And it stays quiet for about three minutes. And about that time, that sucker picks up a running again. 
and goes about another two or three hundred yards and just dies treed. And uh, Johnny said, I think he treed him. I said, I ain't no doubt he's treed him. He's, he got him. We go in there and we shoot out a big old boar coon. And that, and the only thing after me and Donnie got there figuring on is that that coon went under the ground and that dog went in there with him and got him through the ground and then took him on and treated him. Or he actually could smell him up under the ground. and But I'm thinking he went under the ground with him and brought him out. But I'm saying the coon was going underground where he was losing all the dogs. And then he treated him. So we had one more old. Donnie said, let's go turn him loose again. And we pulled up to old field that had some pecan trees in it. And there was two or three coons sitting up out there in the pecan tree. And uh, so I said, Don't, let's not turn him loose close to the pecan trees. Let's go on down and turn him loose into the bottom. So we turned him loose down that bottom, and he went in there three or 400 yards, and he struck the old track. And he worked it up through there, and he worked everything about the – I mean, he was quick with everything he'd done. He worked, come up, come up, treat him and treating them pecan trees. I ain't gonna tell how long them coons have been sitting in them pecan trees. And Donnie, I won't never forget it, we got back in the truck, was Donnie looked at me and he said, you know, you you read them stud ads about he can tree any type of coon. He said, I think that's the first dog I've ever seen that you could write a stud ad about and that be true. That dog can tree any type of coon. So that was racket, man. I'll tell you, he, he lit... He lit me on fire, and not many people got to see him go. But uh, he was just one of them that always had a coon, and he would be, if dogs was trees right here, he'd be 100 yards over there, and he'd have a coon, and they wouldn't have nothing. It was just, he was a freak, man. People say you get that one freak. I'm saying that was, now, don't, don't get me wrong, I've had some more good dogs, but I, I'd say that's probably my one freak as far as just his natural ability. And that dude run loose till he was, you know, I, he ran loose till he was eight or nine months old. I'm talking about ran. He, now, he would run anything, but he would always be parked under a coon, usually within hearing. The only time I ever seen him trace slick, and Andy, I think it was Andy Morgan that was with me. I turned a, I turned a cage coon loose on Dooley, flow which was out of hooker and racket i got i had all three of them about the same time and was starting them and i turned a cage coon loose and Dooley and flow was treed where the coon was and racket was treed about 75 yards downwind from them and i mean he was treed like he was looking at the coon and it was a obvious slick you know, and they had the coon over here. And Andy said, man, you need to shoot that sucker. He, he can't even tree a cage coon. And in my mind, I thought, Andy, that sucker thinks he's got the coon. He smells that coon 75 yards from here is what was in, what, is what was in my mind at that point. So I sold half a dually to John Ward. And then that's when I started focusing on racket. He was, uh, I mean, picking up on that little little stuff that he he actually thought he was smelling that coon up that tree that he was treed on 75 yards away because of the way the wind was drifting. And he wasn't, hey, heck, he wasn't 10, 11 months old there. 
I know you, you uh, mentioned Andy Morgan there. He's been real successful, and I know that you and him are really good buddies. How'd y'all come about being friends? It, do you want to talk about that what? now, Jason? Yeah, that'll be fine. Me, me, and me and Andy have hunted together. Gosh, he, you know, like I said, he got pup out of old trick and the and the judge cross, and you know he called him Boo Rat, and uh, so he he hunted he hunted old trick in, in quite a few hunts. Andy's always been what I call a, a hired gun, you know, but excellent pup starting finishing style hunter hard hunter you know he's gonna stay out and and do the leg work so he uh he he got boo there what he called him boo and then i called him boom and uh he hunted him real real hard there and was real successful with him on the local level uh he's always been one of those that he would he would he would load up and go to any hunt in the world if you would, if you would furnish the ride and get him there, you know. Uh, so uh, Boo probably missed some opportunities there, you know, as far as going to some bigger style hunts because Andy in the beginning sort of owned him on his own, uh, and he was young. Andy, gosh, I don't even know how old Andy is now, but. I, he was he was in high school when I first started teaching, and I actually met him through his brother, which, his brother, which is past, uh, Scotty, and we were the same age, and we we hunted a little bit together. So that's that's how me and Andy started tying up. But you know, Andy didn't ever really hunt anything for me until later on. He always hunted for other people. Uh, he hunted for Danny Todd. Um, so he's always been one of those that he's a good hunter, hard hunter. Um, and he's always sort of fooled and dabbled around with with this line of dogs, you know, from the very beginning, really, you know, because he, he got one out of trick there in the very beginning. Um, and he wound up, he, he wound up me and him partnered on the dog that I called late night making racket, which was a, a 17 model. You know, the original racket was born in 01. So 16 later, I finally have one that I, you know, I, I was trying to get back to that racket, you know, from the very beginning. I made a couple of crosses that, that was real close. I probably should have called Hero Making Racket. That was the one that I really thought would be the way to go. But I named a little dog Late Night Making Racket, and me and Andy was partnered up on him. And he, he, uh, Andy told me he didn't think he was going to make it or whatever. I don't know. So we still joke about that, and there sure ain't no hard feelings on my part. But you know, he he said I don't think he's going to make it, Jason. So he sells and he. Talked me into selling him. I should have went hunting with the dog, but uh, he talked talked me into selling him. We sell him, and then then a couple months later, he's done talked somebody else into buying him back. If he, if he didn't want to be my partner on something, he should have just told me. We always joke about that, but nah, Andy's a very good dog man, and that's that's where the making racket dog and that 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 dog actually won the super stakes, the junior. 
junior super stakes. So he's been a pretty good successful dog out of that out of that line of bread. But I, the hero dog got second in the sophomore super stakes. A lot of people, I don't know if y'all, he was a late night hero, was born, uh, let's think, trying to think, around 11, 12, probably 2011, 2012, somewhere in there. I think he, he got a, and I, and uh, Alex Holloman partnered up with me on him, but he was, he was some kind of, he was some kind of good too. And I was in a slump when I, when he come along, but I bred, I bred a, Gosh, we're jumping way, way up. But I, I bred a that I called a uh, crazy, which went back, <laughs> went back to uh, uh, Schooner River Kid. Here's where your old Schooner River comes because I, man, I, I always had so much respect for Wimp that I wanted to put some Schooner River in there. And uh, Harold Parker had a a little dog down there that called him Schooner River Kid. You probably know some of that country them dogs are down there in that country tyler you you know harold harold yeah i i know of him uh yeah i, I don't think he he's, hunts anymore does he no he's he's moved to florida but yeah man that dude that dude uh he he loved that schooner river stuff and uh he had a little stud dog down there he called schooner river kid and i bred mainly i like his bottom side a lot and it was out of some of that alabama stuff over there that that uh old Mary Jane. I don't it's been it's been so long ago some of that stuff runs together, but his bottom side had some of uh, from up around Sullivan in Alabama, some good old blood that I like. Scott's Lipper Joe and that's just some old blood that I know was pretty good dogs, you know. So uh, I bred to him and I got a call crazy. Uh and and what I actually bred was little trick. What she was out of, uh, she was out of rat attack in old trick. So I bred little trick to Schooner River Kid and got crazy. And then I bred crazy to Boom or Boo, late night Boo. So that, that was probably my most powerful line, line bred cross as far as this is. I got late night top side, late night bottom side. And, uh, I got a little dog I called Late Night Hero, and uh, he was one of those special ones that just loved, I mean, he, he loved you, he loved people, uh, he he looked at you with, he wanted to please you, and he was pretty good about training coons. Real good track dog, real good water dog. Uh, he'd, he'd bog down on some tracks. He was, you had to work him to keep him bo- from bogging down a little bit. But tick disease, that's the first experience I've ever had with a tick disease uh, affected him. And I, I, I was, well, I hate to sound like I will shoot one, but uh, I was just before shooting him, and uh, I was coming out of the woods, and Stephen Miller from up there in, in uh, Louisville called me. It's a funny story because he he said, man, what you doing? And this is when Steven was still hunting pretty hard. I said, man, I'm heading out of the woods. He said, how's your dog doing? Because the super stakes were coming up. I said, man, I'm just going to kill him. He said, what? I said, yeah. I said, "Uh, man, he ain't made a tree in a month. He said, what's he doing? I said, just trailing all over the country. And just trails down to nothing. 
They said, Jason, he's got a tick disease. So this was 2011, 2012. I, I mean, I really, I didn't know anything about tick diseases at that time. I ain't no telling how many I stuck in the dirt because they uh they had a tick disease or something. You know, I just thought I just thought they were going through the terrible twos or sorry or something. You know, but anyway, so Stephen tells me, man, go get you some doxycycline and start him on doxycycline. He'll be back to tree and coons in a week. And I'm telling you, I ain't got a. It's a month to the super stakes. You know. So I did, I went and got that doxycycline and I started, and I never quit hunting. I, was, I mean, I was hunting every night. And uh, six days later, and I mean, I hadn't missed a night. I just kept hunting. And uh, six days later on the doxy, he treated three singles. Or six nights later, you know, he treated three singles. And I sent Alex a text and he was, he was on the land rig. I said, are you still wanting to go to the Super States? He said, yeah. And I said, I think he's back. And I said, I think, you know, because the dog was impressive, man. Treat a bunch of coons. I said, I think he's back. I said, uh, I said, uh, let me hunt him the rest of this week, and then I, we'll, we'll get you set up, and you can go in it. And at this time, Alex is a beginning handler, very smart. He was one of my students in school, but he was, he was very smart. He he was knowledgeable, and he he list you know he listened when I when we would talk about stuff. So he uh he comes in. He said, "What's he doing?" I said, "Well, he's made fourteen trees. I looked at thirteen coons. I said he's as ready as he's gonna be." And he w- went up there and got second in the super stakes. And I think that I think he treed four singles on the final cast at the one year old super stakes. Uh, just one of them one of them deals. So that was the first dog that I had make it into the finals of the super stakes. And he was as heavy late night bread as there could possibly be. You know, how, how'd you feel about that? You know, I guess what I'm trying to ask. Oh man. It, and here's the deal on my competition hunt. I, I enjoyed, I mean, I, I, I got second in AKC nationals and it felt good. You know, I mean, I've, I've placed in, decent size hunts i've i've won double cast wins in multiple super stakes but i'd rather see somebody else win with something i bred than win win a big hunt you know i mean i i take that I, I'd, I'd rather win the world hunt you know than anything or nationals nationals would probably be the hunt that i would love to win just because of the caliber dog back in the day. Now it don't mean as much to me, but my gosh, you, if you won nationals in the late nineties and early two thousands, my gosh, you, you dodged a fill of murder's road. You know, the, the best of the dogs and the best of the handlers was at national, you know, and not saying there weren't good dogs and handlers at the others, but by gosh, nationals was the cream of the crop as far as the pkc group and i'm not saying pkc hunters are better than ukc hunters or pkc dogs are better than ukc dogs i'm just saying die hard people that have studied the rules back and forth have run the scenarios over in their mind every way they could possibly go 
and will lean out as far as the rules will let them lean are at the Nationals hunt. <laughs> anyway, how do, how do I get off so much on these questions? Anyway, back to back to rap. I mean, back to hero. I well, mean, he was. I, I kind of want to. I want to circle back and talk about trick and the breeding to and getting yeah. weapon that cross. How that come about? But the oh, the threat cross. Threat, yeah, not weapon threat. Yeah, because we, we we totally skipped over that, and that's a good story. Oh yeah, oh uh, oh triple threat. Yeah, I, me and uh me and Barry, you know, we've had a man. Me and Barry used to have some doozies of some cast. Uh, but Barry was one, always one of them guys that I could get absolutely, I'm talking about want to strangle him. And I mean, I told him, I said, I'm going to, to, uh, I'm going, when we get through with this cast, I'm going to be, you know, excuse my French there. I'm going to beat your, I'm going to beat your butt, Barry, when this cast is over. And, uh, he 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 would just grin. Come on, Miller, you know. But that that at that time, and people knew, you know, they knew I was a hothead, and they knew that. Hey, look, you want to beat Miller? He's toting a good dog, but you just get under his skin or aggravate him, and uh, and he's very beatable, you know. Uh, what kind of stuff would he do to you before, before you get into the story? I just wonder. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. I don't know if I really want to answer them questions. Uh, <laughs> oh, photo, huh? Yeah, he, uh, gosh, I, I, I'll give you a, a good cast that pretty sums up my relationship with Barry Kitty. And he did. The last cast we hunted on, he got me. And uh, he had never beat me up until that last cast, and then he quit. I've always said he started back, and I'm glad he did because I, I do have one to pay him back on. But, uh, and it's nothing like just God awful bad, but here's the deal with my handling. It took me a long time to get over. Not really. I always sort of considered it cheap. I always wanted to see the best dog win. I didn't care if it was my dog or your dog. I wanted to see the dog that performed the best win the cast. And why I always felt that way is, as from a breeder standpoint, I need to know that these hunts are letting the best dogs rise up, all right? It took me forever, ever to realize that uh, it's a duo. It's, it's the most work, and uh, who puts in the most work, and who knows the rules the best, and who puts in the most time with their dog, and knows the most about their dog and how it performs is who should win the cast, if that makes sense. It took me a, a while to get past, hey, the best dog should win. That's not true. And everybody, everybody, you know, I think that's where most people start disagreeing. It's not that the best dog should win the cast. The person that puts in the most work, the person that knows the rules the best, the person that gets out and hunts the hardest and puts the nights in that that's out there grinding is the person that should win the cast. And a lot of people have a hard time agreeing with that, but it's the person in my mind. It is a, 
it is a team sport and the team is the dog and the handler and it takes you a while but the people that are the most competitive they realize that early on i guess i think of it like this if if it's not like that then why do you have a handle we just need one judge yeah yeah the, you know what i'm saying i mean here here's what i always said look if we if we didn't want it to be the best team all right we just go out there and everybody vote for the the dog that they seen the best on the cast yeah other mm-hmm. than their own yeah all right so if we just all went out there which dog looked the best that's crazy I but mean, anyway let's, it, it, yeah anyway back to uh God, let me get the Barry story. Where was we? Where was we at when we? Oh yeah, the Barry <laughs> Kitty story on the hunt. Right. What happened? All right, me and Barry hunted quite a few times together. But the the one that me and Barry always talk about and tell was uh the truck hunt in ninety eight or ninety nine. Uh, early round cast. And gosh, I'm trying to think of the judge hard. I can't even remember who was judging that cast. Probably better I don't remember any names. But anyway, let's let's just say I don't remember the name. Barry will remember the name of the judge. <laughs> but uh so we get we get the hunting down through there and uh Barry's dog and the other dogs make a tree. And Barry, I mean it has just rained, it's wet. Barry gets a dog on uh raincoat laid out down so, so he can look up this hollow tree and as soon as his little head shoots up in there here he is i got him i got him so but the judge has got a scene right so the judge comes flying down in there and said barry i can't see him well <laughs> we get to walking on so barry did you really see a coon he said no i didn't see no coon but by god if he'd have jumped up in there and some sawdust would have flew in his eye and he'd have thought he'd seen a coon as excited as i was hell he should have said he's seen it too and i will never <laughs> forget it i was like barry that's almost cheating he's like man he said i'm trying to win this truck so <laughs> long story short we're still rocking on in this hunt in hooker's tree and we get there and uh she's treed on this leaning tree and i'm telling you the limbs are they're two foot apart probably but the wind's blowing and i find the coon in the tree over from where hooker's tree and i and it he's going i mean it's obvious that he's crossed out of her tree but it don't touch. I, the limbs do not touch. I mean, they're a foot apart. And um, I go, here he is. Judge comes around there. Barry comes around. They all come around there. It, it don't touch. It don't touch. I hate that doggone it don't touch crap. Everybody says it. I can't stand it. But anyway, it don't touch. And I said, I said, fellas, it's obvious that that coon come out of that tree. I mean, he's still going down the limb that he come out of, you know. Usually, if a coon goes up a tree, he's going up the limb. Common People don't use common sense. But if he's crossing over, he's going to be going down the limb. Does that make sense? Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So, unless you squall the tree, the coon should always be facing up 
when you get there in general terms, unless he's crossed out of the tree that he's in and he'll be going down. All right. So anyway, I explained that to them and I'm pretty good at explaining stuff. They still didn't believe me. So, uh, Back then, you had to wait so long before you could squall. I think it was five minutes or whatever. So we are sitting there going, you know, let me squall. And everybody, no, nah, you can't squall, dogs, trailing, whatever. I said, all right. So anyway, at five minutes, I get to squall. And I hit that squaller. And I'm telling you, we had just had a good rain. The old wind is blowing back and forth. And them limbs, I, I, I'm, I've done said it a couple times. Man, they, all, they touch right there. They almost touch. I can't give you that, you know. Well, when I hit that squaller, that coon turns around on that limb, goes to the very tip of the limb, and the wind hits just right, and he grabs and goes into my tree. And I looked at him. I looked at the judge. I said, can you score him now? And he said, yep, I can score him now. So they plus me. All right. So here's where... Here's where Barry almost sends me over the edge in life. We score that coon and we walk and uh, they, they, they treat a possum. I expect them to get out of the way and withdraw and let me go on to the next round of this truck hunt. Nope, they're going to keep hunting. And this probably better, I don't mention this other handler's name since we're just talking about Barry. So it's just, and I'm a new kid on the block. I'm dumb but always here's a there's a learning curve and then there's a like a fitting in curve in these hunts you know so we are we turn loose and they strike a deer i don't even get struck they just leave our screaming and i'm talking to them we over in them flat country well barry and this other handler sort of fall back and we're walking, trying to keep up. And I'm when I tell you this is the loudest hound that probably has ever been on the face of the earth. His his name was Buck. I, I ain't gonna say no names because I mean, but they did. They I mean to me, and they know they pulled some crap. But the Buck dog is tree. There, I mean, you can you can be walking in a a hernado, and you can hear this dog tree. Well. Barry trees, Barry just up and trees. I think he was hunting zonk. Anyway, he, he trees, zonk, and then the guy trees buck right behind him. And we're walking in a dead walk. And Hooker's got a good mouth. Uh, but when we stop, all you hear is this buck dog. And I mean, he screams. <sighs> across his soybean field. And I look at Barry. And I said, where is Zonk? He's right in there. I look at the judge. And I said, did you hear Zonk? Ah, I can't, I can't tell what dog that. I said, there ain't but one dog, Mark. There ain't but one dog you can hear. And uh, he said, he said, I, I can't, I can't minus Barry. I said, yeah, you can minus Barry because you can't hear his dog. All you can hear is one dog. You've got to be able to. So we argued there for a few seconds. I said, let's walk because I got to get to where I can hear my dog. I done made such a big fit out of this. If I tree mine, they ain't going to be able to hear me, are they? So we get to walking. And I'm telling them, we walk, walk as hard as we can for four minutes. And we stop. You still can't hear Barry's dog. You can't hear mine. All you can hear is Buck. 
knocking the top out. Well, here I go to throw in a pit again. Do you? I said, you can't. And I won't never forget the judge looked at me, and he said, uh, I can't tell you how to handle, son. I said, that's the problem. They handling. Can you? I said, I'm handling. You need to be minus and bury. I'm winning the cast at this point, but I'm not about to strike and tree my dog and not being able to hear it, which hindsight 2020, I should have done it just with them just to stay safe, you know, but I didn't. So we walk in there. Guess what? Bucks treed over about 75 yards. Hooker and Zonk's treed right here with a coon, you know, but Barry has got, now he has just went in the lead with a hundred and a hundred on a coon there. You know, who knows who treated? We ain't got but 15 minutes left to go in this cast. And I'm madder than probably I've ever been in my life at this point at a coon hunt. And Barry goes, are you just going to withdraw? And I looked at him. I said, Barry, kitty. I said, I wouldn't withdraw right now if my life depended upon it. I said, I got 15. I'm fixing to jam one in you. And uh, so we walk up. <laughs> We and he just—I mean, I know he's grinning. If he when he hears this story, he'll be grinning. So we walk up there, and uh, we cut them loose. And uh, Hooker strikes out there about a hundred, two hundred yards. I strike him. Her next bark is a locate. Barry strikes, and I look, and I looked at that judge, and I said. That's Hooker. And he goes, where? He said, that big mile. I said, yes, that's Hooker. Tree Hooker. He took Barry's call for 75. So I just struck and treat her. And uh, so he, and Barry, all he's got to do is back, you know, and, and get a part of this coon and he can move on. But anyway, so. He never backs, but me and the judge, I sit there and go, look, the Barry's dog ain't bark. You need to minus it. I, and he finally gets mad at me and says, if I hear one more question out of you, I'm scratching you. Is what, no, if I hear one more remark out of you that's not a question, then I'm scratching you. And I said, so I can ask a question? He said, yes, you can ask a question. I said, my first question, why are y'all screwing me? <laughs> <laughs> but it, needless to say, it worked out. I had a coon, Barry never backed on it, and I beat him. And he said I was going to win a truck, but I didn't. So that was the – me and Barry had some doozies. How did how did the uh, threat cross come about? Let's, let's talk about that because I think that's a pretty interesting story. Well, uh, Barry uh, – Barry, I called Barry. I said, man, I said – Oh, you know, uh, Zeb again, been doing pretty good. He's like, yeah, man. He said, I like it. And I said, what do you think about, uh, I don't even know if the, the wipeout stuff had been doubled up a bunch at that point. Uh, I said, what do you think about me breeding old trick to him? He said, uh, man, he said that ought to work. And at that time it was, a. Uh, you know, Stylus Clover was a platinum champion. I think Snug was a a gold champion. And then Trick was a silver champion. And I said, you know, everybody's talking about all this double grand, all grand crosses and stuff. Wouldn't it be neat to have a 
all gold or all platinum champion cross, you know. I said that, you know, that'd be a pretty good start because he was, I, he was a, I don't know if he, he might have been a, a gold champion at that time, and then out of two platinums, I think maybe. Uh, so we talked around about it, and I said, I tell you what, I said, the state hunt's coming up, and I and and I at this time I was having trouble, or my ex-wife was having trouble with the pregnancy. I said, I'm not going to get to hunt and state hunt. Why don't you just keep trick up there, breeder, and uh, and hunter in the state hunt for me? And he's like, yeah, that'll work. That'll work. So uh, I took her up there, and he hunted her. And uh, he, uh, he actually, uh, I think he got third, second or third, third. What am I saying? He might have got second. Looking back, I don't know. I think he got third and hooker got fourth in that state hunt that year and actually that was my sons were born we we had uh we had twin sons that weekend and one of them passed away caleb thomas passed away and then we had Wyatt edward he's still with us he's 19 years old so he uh but he's got he's uh he's got cerebral palsy so he's special needs so uh, but anyway, but Barry, Barry done that, Barry made that cross and he actually raised, he kept them up there, raised them. And then I went and picked up a couple and then he sold a couple and then we sort of split the litters, what we done on that deal. And he kept threat. I think he kept threat and maybe a jip. And then, uh, I got a male and a female and I always let mine run loose and both of them got run over before they were really really going good and then I wound up buying one bat that we called uh, me and Lynn Johnson actually bought that pup back and sold him to Adam Joyner and Adam Joyner still says he's the you know he had Zev 3 but he still says the quick dog he called him quick he's a big yellow headed dog he still says or tells me he might tell somebody else told it something totally different but he always tells me that quick was by far the biggest fastest like catching foxes and you know you hear them stories about them wipe out dogs catching fox and deer and all that stuff but he said he he was the fastest hardest going one that he had he had at his house but he got run over young too so that's the that's the story on the triple threat. That's how triple threat come about. Yeah, but, I just I, I know we were moving ahead pretty good. I just didn't want us to leave that out because I think that's an important part too. Yeah, I mean, what? Hey, look, I, man, Billy, me and Billy Bell run up and down the roads, and me and him talk breed. There's so much, you know that, and I've listened to every, you know, all of them, like Barry, his take on stuff. Billy Bell, me and him used to jaw back and forth and try to figure out. You know, Billy, gosh, why can't I think of that old boy's name that we used to, that had the million-dollar dummy and all that stuff. I, I don't even know. Did Billy mention the million-dollar? I know he mentioned Elmo. But they were out of flat They were out of flat rock coma. And uh, Bill, 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 gosh, dog. I don't know why I can't think of his name, last name. Billy had a little dog called Roller that he was really high on that come 
I want to say Bill Goodrum, but I don't I don't think that was his name. Anyway, but uh, yeah, me and Billy uh, we run all over the country together. There for I don't know a couple of years. He actually kept Hooker up there at his house for a while, and that. And Billy's always the one that tells everybody that she did not operate for anybody but Jason. You know, he he would and it and look, the reason she operated for me, operated for me is because I let her get away with nothing. I had that was she was she was as hard headed as any dog I've ever fooled with, but she was smart as she could be and she would try you at any I could get a limb and wear her out, and she would go on a coon tree and spree. But she would, she had just a little bit of, I don't know, lazy streak. I always said it might be that she was too smart. She knew the coons wasn't stirring and just a little bit lazy. Probably had a tick disease. I don't know. Thyroid problems. Thyroid problems. This, it, I mean, I'm telling you, ain't no telling how many good dogs I kill. Uh, but, yes, uh, that, I hear you. That, <laughs> there ain't i'm telling you people said i used to be pretty rough on them but i ain't i don't know i didn't never believe it you one thing about me i don't sell many uh i don't sell many dogs at all i just man I, if they if they don't please me i don't think they'll please anybody else and i you know i'll give i'll give one away before i'll sell it yeah, and I don't, rec- I don't never re- really recommend any uh people. And I, I, I guess people should eventually get tired of calling me. Hey man, you know where a good dog is? Nope, can't tell you where to even start. I've on, I've only ever recommended one dog be bought, and uh, that was to Michael Moody. I, I told him about lockdown, and he bought him about who. Boy, one that locked down was that lockdown he had. Lock. Was that? Yeah, they that's called the, him lock. That's the dog in the. If you listen to the new uh, razor advertisements, that's the that's the dog in it. Oh, is it? Is it Michael's Audio. dog? Yeah, yeah. Trip, triple lockdown or something. He was out of threat. I want to say that dog's name was Triple Lockdown. The Woolman boy. Uh, I hunted with him at the breeder showcase. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I don't like recommending nothing and uh, telling people about dogs or whatever, but Michael had been on me about buying a dog or whatever or trying to find one, and I was up there at the Breeder Showcase, and I I got through hunting with that dog. It was on the Thursday night, and he I bet he wished he'd have listened to me right off the bat because I think he probably wound up giving him more than what he could have got him from far before the week started but when i called moody i got through hunting or whatever i said man you need to buy this dog and he said really i said i said yeah he's 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 what i thought i brought up here but that's when mine was going through the tick disease and i didn't really realize it but he treated three singles on me just as fast and quick as anything i had ever seen i i ain't never really been blown out of the woods but that sucker blew me out of the woods, had a good mouth, moved around good by himself. I told Moody, I said, man, you need to come by this dog. Well, he him all around and waited to the end of the week, and the dog had done one every night, one every late round, I mean, price tag. 
there had there was a lot of wonders for the dog at that time when Moody ended up buying him. Anyway, I think it was locked down, triple locked down. He was out of triple threat. Josh Woolman, I think so. He's always kept a good dog. Are you in the market for a new dog box and just don't know which one to get? That's where I encourage you to go check out GNR Cedar Dog Boxes, especially if you're wanting something different. GNR Cedar Dog Box was established in 2016 when two avid hunters wanted a dog box that was affordable and great looking at that. They provide a high quality, handmade, lightweight box to the customers. They take pride in the fact that their boxes are fully cedar, which will last a lifetime in all types of weather conditions. Cedar also ensures your hounds stay a little warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer. You can find out more about GNR Cedar Dog Boxes on Facebook. G- find them at GNR Cedar Dog Boxes or give them a call at 615-962-5266. They're located in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, USA. I think we jumped from making racket back to hero, didn't we? Yeah, because we... We talked about uh, Andy. Me and Andy was partnered on making racket. He sold him. We sold him, and then he bought him back with Mr. Carl Wade. Um, maybe we didn't talk about, you know, Carl Wade and Andy went and bought making racket, and they just called him racket. They went and bought racket back and started hunting him. And he's up. You know, when I made that cross, I wanted to get some. I like that jig stuff. And, uh, but I didn't like uh, I didn't like the barking out of place that sort of came with it. And the Jigahoo, man, every time I ever hunted with him, that sucker just all over the place trained coons, you know. And I actually hunted with him at the Mississippi State hunt. I was in the final round with the with that trooper dog, actually. And I hunted with Jigahoo, and I said, man, I, you know, that's one I'll breed to. So that's when I took uh, uh, Crazy Karma. And uh, that's another one in late. She was out of old crazy and uh, hero junior. Uh, no, she was actually she was out of hero. And uh, yeah, we didn't even talk about that cross when I bred hero to a schooner river keeper and got karma and hero junior and all them. So uh, that was probably one of my better crosses as far as every dog in that litter with Trey Coon, most of the people that got them were not big competition hunters or just starting out competition hunting, you know. But every one, I mean, there wasn't a pup in that cross that would not go in Trey Coon. But none of them were just spectacular. There was Hero's Champ, Corey Crosby. You know, he was out of that cross. He died pretty young. And then I got, I, me and, uh, Alex had a little bitch we called Crazy Karma. That that's who we bred to Jigahoo and got making racket. And that's where we got making racket from and then raised him up and sold him to uh Mr. Carl Wade and him. Or actually Andy sold him to a little local guy and then Mr. Carl and Andy bought him back. And uh he he Rack making rackets. He's he's got a little bit of that uh, jigahoo tendencies where he 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 used to be real good strike dog. Now he's pretty tight on the ground. 
he sort of he's one of those that sneaks around and cast trees a lot. I've seen him tree a bunch of coons just pleasure hunting. But I, I mean, I, I've actually tried to breed a couple of gyps to him. I, I, I ain't got one to stick, but they breed. They, Andy's hunting a puff off of him right now that he, he's pretty high on. Bred him from a bred. They bred him the first time they bred him. They bred him to a thousand dollar bill Jesse Jane sister, and he's got a gosh, what's he call that dog? He's a one year old fall. He'll be at the one year old fall super stakes. And uh, Bruno is what they call the dog. And I don't know what Mr. Carl, I, they, they're not calling him late night or anything, but he is out of, he's out of racket and a Jesse Jane, Bill sister. So that's where they're at on there. They're, they're, uh, they're trying to breed racket some. And I think he's, he's throwing, I've tried to breed a couple of gyps and haven't, I haven't had anything settled. Man, the last couple of gyps I've bred, actually, I've got two gyps here I really like. I like their style, and I'm wanting to get them bred. I've got it on my plate. They're out of Snowman and a, a heavy late-night bread. You know, that's most of my crosses, you know, I'm hunting. Everybody always goes, well, you had that Snowman dog. He went late-night bread. But what, what Snowman was, a lot of people don't realize that his he was a – he was a, a nephew to Old Trick. Stylish Chloe was his grand. He was a great nephew, I guess. Uh, Stylish Chloe was his great grandmother, and that Stylish Chloe was late night Trick's sister. So, when I got Snowman, I was planning on, you know, crossing him back on his late night and getting that getting that uh, snug and clover cross back up as close as I could. Uh, you know, that's a totally different thing as far as what type of dog he was. But, man, that, he, he's sort of got a special place, too, up there. And, you know, he's he's in the top three or four that's come through here, even though I didn't breed him up. He's a he's a pretty nice hound. I always tell everybody, if Chris Collins could be on the cast, I would never be beat. Because every time I've ever drawn Chris Collins, he has put on an absolute clinic. I mean, like tree, and he's one of those that he can tree them as fast as you can cut him loose to go tree them. But uh, that's I mean, you talking about I, Chris Collins from up down here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he hunts redbone. Well, I don't know, really know if you didn't classify that as a redbone. That's a nice dog, old buddy. Treat him coon. Yeah, he is. Uh, but every, every time I draw, I tell you, the first time that I put Snowman in a cast, Chris was on the cast. And I don't know, he's probably 13, 14 months old. And he had Buddy. And Buddy's one of them, one type of coon dogs over by himself from what I've seen of him. You know, I I had never seen him treat multiple or a bunch of coons. But he's he's good for that one coon over by himself. And which, hey, look, that wins a bunch of hunts. Really, all you need is plus points. But on this particular night, uh, I think Snowman Trick is an hour cast. The sucker treat three singles just about as fast as you could stick them up with stick. And when I say, when you say treat three sig- singles real fast, everybody thinks, you know, that's within three 300 yards. No, we're talking within three quarters of a mile of each other, you know, as far as like 
he treed the first one about 300, treed the second one about 700, and then treed that last one about three-quarters of a mile and an hour cast. And Chris, Chris, when he was walking out, said, hey, man, you want to sell me that dog? <laughs> I chuckled. I said, nah, I don't know, Chris, if you could afford this one. Oh, man, I, I can afford him. He said, I got 5000 in the truck. And I, you know, and we're right there at the cusp. The, the coon dog market just hadn't went crazy, you know, as far as what it what it was fixing to become. And I said, nah, I don't think I'm going to sell him. And he said, what what would it take if you had to sell him? I said, probably about 15000 is what I'd sell him to you for. And he ain't won nothing. You know, that was his first freaking cast he'd ever won. But, I mean, I just seen something special in him. And then he – and I, I wound up winning about 10000 with him that first year. I went to old Doll Baby and them's Invitational Hunt. Uh, got in at the Super Stakes. He was sort of sidelined a little early. That's here's the other thing. I never did mention uh, a funny story about Hooker. We were we were at the Breeder Showcase in '98, and you talk about coon dog prices and what they are. But uh, in '98, I was offered twenty thousand dollars for. Her. Uh, at the Breeder Showcase. She was going into Saturday night. And she had, I don't know, it was probably about 1,200-plus points. And actually, and it, I think it is Bill Goodrum. He was hunting a million dollars. And she had two cats. It was only two dogs going into the final night with two cast wins. And it was Hooker and her. million dollars. I think it was Dummy, maybe. Billy would know. And uh, so... Uh, so we go out, and I'm telling you, I have, I got in the first night. I made some horrible handling calls. I treated three or four coons the second night, but I made some bad handling calls. I still want to cast. It was one of them. I was trying to blow the cast. I, I mean, I wanted to come in with 1,200 plus, you know, uh, but I was a horrible handler. So uh, going into the final night, all I got to do, I mean, I can win with, a thousand minus all i gotta do is win my cast and i'm you know the breeder showcase champion this is the first year they're having it steve fielder just come on board i mean he's done interviews and you people don't realize what that hunt was when it first started i mean they did auctions there was people everywhere hooker would do tricks i mean she would sit shake play dead and uh on that Saturday, I'm walking around in that place with her. Like, when I say that place, everybody that know, knows the Breeder Showcase knows that was the tennis center. And uh, so all these people are coming around, and there's a, a older gentleman sitting there at a picnic table, and his grandkids are sitting there playing around or whatever. And I don't even have a leash on Hooker. You know, she's just walking around with me like a yard dog. But everybody knows that she's got – you know, that many plus points and talking about her there in the tennis center. And uh, I hear one of them say, there's that, there's that gyp that's got all them plus points. They would put them scorecards all over that place, you know. So everybody looked at your scorecard. So uh, he calls me over and he says, uh, and she walks over with me. And then grandkids, I, I tell her to sit. She sits down and I tell them start shake. You know, and they start shaking her hand. They having a good time. And, man, I don't know nothing about the price of dogs or, you know. Looking back, 
I really thought the man was joking, you know, as far as, but he, so he's sitting there talking, he's watching her, and he goes, uh, hey, you want to sell that dog? I said, man, I, I said, I can't sell that dog. I mean, that's, I worked real hard to get this dog. I mean, this is, this is like a six-year-old boy's dream, you know. This is, this is what I, you know, at that time, this is what I had dreamed about my whole life. And, uh, because I went, gosh, I was 20, 21, 22, probably. And uh, he said, no, nah, really, you want to sell her? I said, I said no, nah, I don't, I don't want to sell her. And he said, well, he said, uh, he said, I'll give you $15,000 for her. And I started laughing. And there's a old boy from Alabama, uh, Jeff Seymour, real good buddy of mine. I don't know, you know, I, I don't guess he's still hunting, but I, you know, but anyway, Jeff Seymour sitting there, <laughs> or he had walked up and he, he he looked at me and I was like laughing because I thought the man was joking. I'll be honest with you. I, you know, you, you didn't hear 15,000 for dogs. I mean, 7,500 was a pretty good price on a, on a really good dog at that time. And, uh, I laughed and he said, Oh, he said, Oh, you think I'm joking? I said, I said, Oh, you're not joking. He said, no. Nah. He said, I tell you what, he said, I'll give you 20000 for her right now. And Jamie uh, Jenkins, or an old guy they call Mississippi, had hunted with Hooker quite a bit. And I think he had told him, you know, that, that she was the real deal or whatever. So he uh, he offered me that 20000 and I and and I won't never forget it. Jeff Seymour looked at me and he said, he said, I'm fixing to walk away from this conversation. He said, two he said, I've heard it. I've heard people talk about it. He said, but I'm actually seeing two fools meet. One man for offering it, and I know you're fixing to turn him down because Jeff had hunted with her quite a bit. And Jeff walked off at that time. He, he, he walked away from the conversation. And I and I told him, I said, no, nah. I said, man, I'm, I'm not going to sell this dog. And I really, had, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't think he could have bought her. You know, as far as my mindset and how hard I had worked to create, you know, that first dog. And what was so crazy, here's where, here's probably, here's where I could have went a totally different course. You know, I I probably could have went into the handling game at that time and, and just went to handling dogs because he goes, I tell you, this is, this is going to be my final offer. He said, uh. He said, I got a brand new red Dodge pickup truck out there. He said, I give $27,500 for it. He said, I'll give you that truck and the dog box in it. You load that and you keep her at your house and you hunt her just like she's still yours. All I want is my name on her. And I turned him down. You know, I mean, he was basically just saying, you take her hunter in my name. And I turned him down because it was never, you know, competition. My goals and my dreams were always about breeding the best dog that I possibly could breed. And it wasn't about winning hunts or, you know, being the greatest competition hunter. I just always wanted to hunt my own line of dogs and be successful. I wanted to breed a dog that I could take anywhere in this country 
and feel like I had an opportunity to win that hunt. You know, I mean, people can look back and say, well, you know, he ain't never won nothing, you know. Uh, man, I tell you what, you know, I've never been one of those that goes poor, look at me. You know, I've always said that I'm as blessed as out as anybody in this world could be. But everything I have done and won in my time coon hunting has been half. So in the last 20 years since I've been raising my son, I've only, uh, you know, I only go to hunts or stuff the week that I don't have him. After I got divorced from my first wife or whatever, the week I have him, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't go to any of the, so I miss, you know, I only hunted hooker in two world hunts just because of the way the time fell. Um, I only hunted, you know, a lot of times I didn't get to go to, to super stakes or whatever, you know, it's just one of them deals. And I've never, it's not one of them deals that I ever felt bad about it. You know, that's just the way, that's the way it is. And, and here's, here's the, here's the deal. I'm okay with that. And I have, you know, I've set my goals for myself and I am the only one that determines my success. And if anybody is listening to this story, you know, I want you to understand that you don't have to worry about what other people are winning, what other people are doing. As long as you can set your goals for yourself and meet the goals or get as close to those goals as you had planned, then you're a successful person. A lot of people have, you know, it's hard to get to a place if you hadn't got a clear vision on how to get there. And uh, a lot of people don't set those goals for themselves as far as, what they're going to try to do uh and that's one thing i've always you know been good at i'm bragging but i've always been good at looking at the bigger picture and looking down the road and trying to figure out the best way to get there some people might not think it's successful but as long as i can look in the mirror and go you know what jason you've done pretty good with the dogs and you know you've you've met some of your your goal i haven't met all my goals and i still got some dogs that i'm planning on breeding you know but man i've enjoyed this coon hunting i've enjoyed the people you know hey if i never won a coon hunt i mean the people that i've met have been well worth the journey you know so i don't know i don't i mean it's i'm all about breeding the dogs but i mean i it's it's one of them deals that i've enjoyed and you asleep did i no, put you to sleep no you said something early like at the beginning of the podcast and it just kind of hit me you know i, I was thinking about you, you were talking about surrounding your people yourself with people that you know are successful i guess you'd say in something that you want to do you know but you seem kind of self-taught well when you say self-taught i didn't really have anybody you, in yeah. my immediate family or you know uh, that was saying, okay, you need to be a coon hunter. Now, now, you know, John Wick and book, boy, it really, I mean, it was a tremendous help, but, and here's me, I, I'm a sponge, man. Look, I, I, if you, if you, uh, if you tell me something, I'll remember it till I get dementia or whatever you get when you get old. And if, if it's important, 
if it's something that I deem important as far as in improving them dogs, I'll remember it forever. Wimp, man, big, big assistance. I mean, he was a walking moment of knowledge. I could call on Wimp and say, hey, what do you think about this? Or what, you know, uh, burying them, you know, that they helped me more on the competition side as far as, you know, learn because I, I've become, I mean, look, I will tell you this. If I roll up into that coon hunt and the last three super stakes I've been to, and here's the deal on that. Here's the goal I set for any, any qualification style hunt. When I roll up, I just want two cast wins. Anything after that is gravy. If I can double up, then I've done my job. Because the tougher it gets, hey, most of them boys that are at them elimination-style hunts, they put in the work like me, you know, as far as, you know, you might you might draw a pretty easy first-round cast. Second-round cast is going to get a little bit tougher. But when you get to them third, fourth, fifth-round cast, then more than likely you're, you're up against yourself. It's just who, and I've always said, whoever puts in the most work deserves to win. I, it took me a while to get to that as far as, like, I wanted to see the best dog win. And I'm still, I'm still to this day, if I see your coon, I'm going to show you your coon. There's, uh, and there's some boys that, and I, when I say that, I, every time, you know, when you start talking about coon hunts or whatever, I, we, the, the sport went through a little phase there where, and I was probably the biggest loud mouth on like when cheating started getting brought up and i realized at that point that when and it was when the discussion i don't even know if you how old are you Tyler? 27 were you big on the discussion boards when i was such a butthole on them do you know any, you probably don't even know any of that do you? Mm, when no. i say butthole i was just i was very i was a very outspoken style of person that you i guess you would say anyway during that time i've seen your facebook there, post though so yeah i, I, I can kind of see <laughs> well people you know and it's and it's not and that's just me i mean hey look i i'll give you the shirt off my back i'll do anything for you i said but here's the deal don't cheat me don't lie to me me and you are no longer in existence as far as I, that's just, that's just me. All right. I feel like most people should be that way. Treat everybody like, you know, it's just the golden rule or, you know, treat everybody like you want to be treated during that time. It opened my eyes to people who are okay with some people being crooks. I don't, you know, and I'm not calling out any names. I, I think it was one of them deals where it sort of, and it made me look like a villain when I I was, you know, hey, look, I was just what I felt like was the truth. And the and I think competition coon hunting got hurt during that era. You had CHKC starting up, the the hunts moving from Kentucky. There's a bunch of stuff that went on during that time that hurt competition coon. I mean, it's it's not the downfall of competition coon hunting. There's a lot of things that have hurt it, but you know, I think a lot of people, I, I had a bunch of people messaging me back in those days like, man, Miller, you sure are hard on so-and-so, hard on so-and-so. You, 
you know, and I, I'm like, look, I've, I got rid of some friends during some of those times, the people that I, you know, that I helped out at hunts and, and, uh, and me and people are not as close probably because I'm as outspoken as I am, but I think everybody knows. And, and when, what hurt my feelings the most about the cheating ordeal is that there was a bunch of people that would be like, everybody does it. It's okay. You know, I mean, that's what stuck out to me the most during, you know, when, when people start talking about cheating at coon hunts, but that's not the truth. Everybody don't cheat at coon hunts or everybody don't. And when I, I'm talking about flat out cheat, not seeing you coons or, you know, are doing stuff that would be deemed absolutely cheap. There's a lot of good, honest people at the hunts, but I'm telling you, I think during that time, a lot of people was like, man, I don't, these hunts might be too crooked, you know, because, because I, I tell you, out of all, I don't know how many casts I've been on. Uh, gosh, Hooker probably won over 200, uh, and I probably won 140 with her, you know. Uh, I don't know how many trick ones. She 100 and something probably. She, But back then, I got to looking back at some of them old wind slips when we started talking about doing this podcast, you know, 12 or $24, I think. It's crazy what you used to. And I drive hours to go win $24. But I got to thinking back, you know, I, I've only ever cheated one man in a coon hunt. And it was just weird, thing, you know. But I've made it right since, you know, I cheated him. But it was, uh, just, and it was one of them deals with a blinking coon, you know, and I was running for a handler ticket. And it was at the, the World Hunt. And, uh, Oh, I don't, you probably don't know Scott Jones. He's telling a dog called Blue Scamper or whatever. And, uh, I was going for that handler ticket and it was just me and him at the tree. It was a three dog cast. And, uh, I got to, I was actually winning the cast hands down and the guide was still in the cast and Scamper and Old Trick get split treat at the end. But the guide, I mean, I could have treated her three minutes. I didn't think the guide was going to tree his because he was completely out of it. I mean, he, but he tree his dog ahead of my split tree. And, uh, when you get to thinking somebody owes you something or whatever, sometimes the devil will get on your shoulder. But me and Scott was at that tree and, uh, he said, I got him. I got him. And he was blinking or whatever. When I got around there, I was like, I can't, I don't see him. I don't, but I actually seen the coon. Uh, so that's the only man I've ever cheated at a coon hunt, Scott Jones. But I've since made it right. I apologize to him. I think I sent him a little more than the cash meant money, when money was. And every, But every time until I made it right, I would always, you know what, you know, get, and, and that's God, you know, laying it on your heart to do the right thing. So, I mean, I don't even know why I told that story, but. My gosh, that's not every, I guess I told it to, you know, that not everybody is a cheater. There is some great folks at these coon hunts, but also don't believe people when they say there ain't no cheaters, you know, there, there, there are some cheaters. 
and it and I think I think right now it's probably cleaner than it's ever been. But I, I've been trying to be positive. I've been pretty positive. You know, I don't know. I guess I was going to get into new people starting out in sport and all, and talking about surrounding yourself with people who are successful and, and can teach you yeah. things. And but yeah, let's let's be a more positive. Oh yeah, I mean, hey, look, there's there's a lot of great people that will help you, and uh, that will steer you in the right direction as far as like hand. But I mean, hey, look, I'll be the first to tell you that I can tell you till I'm blue in the face, but until you get out there and make those mistakes, Roy Tramble, man, the great. I mean, I can't believe I hadn't mentioned him, but. He used to come up to me all the time, and I, because I would, he would use me on questions and panels and all that good stuff at the World Hunt and what, whenever. Because I'm telling you, it was like there used to be some questions come in, and he would, uh, he would use me on that type of stuff at pro hunts and all that good stuff. And he would, I, he had just sort of sit over to the side and listen to the questions, but he used to come up and say. You've been buying a lot of them $15, $25 lessons, haven't you? I said, Mr. Roy, I said, i tell you what. If I read that blue book once, I read it six times a week. I would study them rules and and run scenarios through my mind or write them down on a paper. A lot of people used to used to say, Jason, how do you come up with all that stuff on the message board and write all that stuff about those rules and rule interpretations so fast? And a lot of people don't realize how many hours I spent studying, you know, how to break that down and, uh, and like where I, I don't know them like I, cause I've changed them quite a bit, but by guys, I used to be able to quote numbers and re- and verbatim tell you the rule uh, when I was really studying that type of stuff. I never had many questions on cast because I was always so good at presenting my argument in the woods. So I really never had to question anything. I can only think of one or two questions out of all those hunts that I ever brought in and the the one question I should have won that I lost, I still to this day do not know how I lost that question. And I had panel member or one panel member say that I shouldn't have lost the question. And he was I said, Well, how did I lose a question if you were on the panel? He said, I couldn't make them see it your way. So anyway. Look, if you're interested in this coon hunting stuff, and hey, look, there's a pile of folks out there that want people involved in these hunts and uh man i'm telling you if, if there's a kid that listens to this hunt the, i don't know i don't know how if a kid will listen to this much of this bs or whatever i don't go to sleep but if there's a kid that listens to this and and is interested in coon hunting shoot get up with me i know i know people all over the united states i don't care if you in michigan I know somebody in Michigan that will get you all you need to coon hunt with. I mean, that's one thing I can say, and that's networking. You know, I know people everywhere as far as, and it's through this coon hunt, and good folks. So that's the thing about this coon hunt night. We we fight, we argue, we can 
get madder. I mean, I could I could be so mad at Barry Kitty, but me and him would still laugh and carry on just like we never had a disagreement in a couple of days. Hey, y'all. Tyler here from Coonutton University. I want to talk to you a little bit about extreme dog fuel and what sets them apart. Superior nutrition at the lowest price possible. So they've been told the amount of vitamins and minerals they use in their feeds overkill and that they could reduce cost by incorporating less expensive ingredients in their formula. But they believe the right mix of important ingredients makes a huge difference in your hound's skin, coat, performance, durability, health, and longevity. They promise they'll never change their product to lower the price or to compete with cheap commodity dog foods. All their ingredients are taken from the South Central United States. So go check them out and you can find out more about Extreme Dog Fuel at extremedogfuel.com and find a retailer near you today. Extreme Dog Fuel, feed it for life. But I did drive all the way from Indiana. Billy Bell still, he'll tell you this story. Miller gets in the truck. Billy's supposed to drive so many hours. He about runs off the road 30 minutes into the drive. Because I asked him, I said, Billy, if you, because I had hunted, but I had drove from Mississippi the day before, hunted a good bit of the night. We went to bed. I got a couple hours of sleep, drove to Indiana, hunted. I got so mad because I got beat by Barry. And we're supposed to hunt the open the next night. I told Billy, I said, man, and Billy was always ready to go home if he got beat. I said, Billy, you want to go home? He said, yeah, let's go home. I said, if you can drive me a couple hours, let me get about an hour of sleep. I will drive back to Parsons, Tennessee. I'm telling you, he don't even get to the interstate, don't run off the road. So uh, I get over there, and uh, I get to the gas station. It's the first time I've ever drank a five-hour energy. I get to that gas station, drive a five, drink that five-hour energy, when I can remember going through Nashville, scratching my head, thinking I done, I don't, I ain't never done meth or anything like that. But in my mind, somebody has done slip meth into this bottle, and I'm, I drove all the way to quit. I, when I pulled up in Billy Bell's driveway, I helped him get his crap out, and I drove on home to Quitman, Mississippi. I don't even know how. It was an eight, nine-hour drive, and I had, I was going on two hours of sleep. But Billy still tells that story. I was on Miller's Trooper. I used to drive that sucker in from hunts, and he'd be over there snoring and sleep. But, yeah, man, I'll I, I tell you what. It's, it's something about this coon hunting family that I think I could load. And even that's everybody talks about getting the youth back involved. I think the biggest thing is if, like Barry's back hunting. If you can get some of these, uh, these guys sort of these – mid-range guys that have raised a family and uh, get them back into coon hunting. I think, you know, that's a pretty strong argument to build the numbers to, as well as well as try to get these youth involved. Well, it's trickle-down. Well, yeah, I mean, it's... You know what I'm saying? If you get more people involved, then eventually they're going to get more. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah the more yeah. people you get involved, the more the more youth you can get involved. So I think that makes sense what you're saying. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, 
it's a wonderful thing it really is we creeping up on two and a half hours i know we didn't cover so, we're, we're gonna do a second part with jason uh we're gonna have to listen to this and see exactly what uh what we missed and let jason listen to it because we're gonna do a part two on him whether i do it or i know mason was really wanting to do one with you and he's he's fired up that i'm doing this one but yeah i would love to do a little bit more on some handling stuff you know i didn't even really we you didn't know. even really tell the late. I mean, I mean, I guess you did, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. If you don't really know the whole late nights, like a lot of people are going to be able to fill it in because they know me through the hunts. You know, uh, I sort of told how it got started, and, and and most of these people that have followed the hunts up through are going to know a lot of these dogs' names. You know, like Hero. You know, that was 2012 that he he got. And so it's, I think it'll, you know, the, to me, the late night story ain't really important to folks unless they, they know a little bit about the dogs anyway, you know, a lot, some people will be interested in it because they have a, a tie to it. I think the biggest thing would be the, the handling and trying to get people involved and, you know, like these new people that get into it and say, well, my dog's just as good as well they they don't know that you know because they don't have any reference points yeah i mean that's what that's what you got to watch with if i could tell anybody especially a young young man in coon hunting don't let it which i think you probably got your head on your shoulders and you ain't gonna be able to out hunt you know your wife will keep you in line but that's probably more than anything you know be a family and and take care of you young and that's that's one thing that worries me about coon hunts as far as people you know a lot of these boys that win big ain't really winning on the home front you know no i i can i can only imagine you know especially so, uh, working offshore you know how it is yeah i mean you ain't there half the time already that's, that's the other thing you know when you, your biggest thing is to make sure that you you keep yourself grounded so i'm getting old man i you know, I, well, I got looking back on all this crap, and I was like, man, I tell you what, this this has snuck up on me as far as how long I've been doing this and how many crosses I've made. You know, I'm like seventh generation of dog that was born and raised. You know, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, I'll let you get off here, but I, but Jason, I really appreciate you coming on here and uh, doing this interview, and I think people's really going to like it. I really do. I think they're really going to enjoy it. I, and we're going to do a second part. Like I said, we're going to try to get together. If you come to the Laurel Pro Classic and I'm there, we'll get together there. Or I'm moving not too far from you, so I could just shoot over equipment and do one with you. Yeah, man, that'd be perfect. Uh, I know old Bush has mentioned a couple of times. I might have to talk to him. Hey, I think Barry's been probably whispering in his ear some crap, so he's probably wanting to ask me some questions or something. Uh, but I've enjoyed it, man. I, I hate that I've been so rambling with it, but when you start trying to figure out all these years and stuff and all these dogs, they sort of run together. But, uh, man, if anybody's got any questions or, you know, if there's some, some young kid, some middle-aged young man, woman, I, uh, whatever that is, you know, really thinking about coon hunting or having any questions, man, I'd love to help them out and see them do something or find somebody that's close to them and help. So, uh, yeah, I've enjoyed it. 
thank you thank you for showing enough interest to even want to hear what this old boy's got to say yes sir well i appreciate it jason yeah buddy take right. care yes sir tell eddie i hate he didn't get to get in here and, and hear all this good stuff i know I, 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 me and him me and him have had some stories together ourselves but uh i guess he's gonna have to share about the barefooted native american walking across the creeks i'm sure he's probably told you i think stories. he's told me something about that he he yeah well, you got a price. I, I got to get off the phone. I, I, we'll be done, told another yeah. story, man. I, I, I appreciate it. We'll get together somewhere down the road. Look forward to hunting with you, buddy. Yeah. All right, buddy. You too. Bye. Take care. Bye. I really hope y'all enjoyed that interview as much as I did. If you like what you heard here, go on over to Facebook. Give us a like, at Coon Hunting You. Also, go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us out. And remember, if you need a new hunting light, do not overlook Superior. They make an awesome light, best customer service in the business. Man, their walking light and double red is the brightest I've ever seen. Use coupon code CHUPODCAST at checkout at nighthunters.com. You can find the link in the description box below this. Coon Hunting University is a product of Audio Hound Productions. Until next time, y'all have a wonderful day.